Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. I think it's terrible. You want to know the truth? I think it's a disgrace. What's going on in this country, I think it's a disgrace. The memo was sent to Congress. It was declassified. Congress will do whatever they're going to do. But I think it's a disgrace what's happening in our country. And when you look at that, and you see that, and so many other things, what's going on, uh, a lot of people should be ashamed of themselves, and much worse than that. So I sent it over to Congress. They will do what they're going to do. Whatever they do is fine. It was declassified. And let's see what happens. But a lot of people should be ashamed. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. The memo is out. It has been released. Democrats are either scurrying for the exits or delusional about the implications of this whole thing. I would just note that yesterday I I made some predictions. I wanted to just revisit that before we dive into the details here. Number one was the Fusion GPS dossier confirmed. Uh, Number two, other unspecified things, also part of the FISA activity. Number three, Democrats will argue this is a tiny part of the overall picture. Four, DOJ top level will look bad. Five, and this is the annoying part, everyone, but I'm just going to tell you, the Russia conspiracy theory lives on. Boom. Not going to go away based on this memo. Boom. But. One, two, three, four, five. All of them nailed. I'm just I'm just saying. I didn't read the memo, but I knew it was in the memo. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I do and I don't. I know and I don't. So there you have it. That is, in fact, a pretty good rundown. That was from yesterday. The memo came out today. That's a pretty good rundown of what, in fact, we know today. I want to dive into the details with you on all this. But let me first just get into how it was... It was such a sad day <laughs> over at CNN and some of these places. Oh, gosh, they're so upset. Like, are we even going to be a democracy? Are we going to be okay? The fascism is just creeping all over the place. What are we going to do? Uh, and I believe it is done purposely to discredit as has been reported, law enforcement. This memo is a dud. This is a way for the, for the president, Dana, to discredit uh, the Mueller investigators. That this is very partisan, cherry-picked, and is, in fact, undermining uh, long-standing, decades-long-standing right. uh, rules of oversight. Uh, the, the dramatization of this memo... It does go back to the Joe McCarthy period in a sense of getting something, calling it a document, perhaps written with the help of the White House. Not a single one of those people, those are all journalists, not a single one of them knows a damn thing about FISA, intelligence, anything. They don't, they don't even know how a simple warrant works in the criminal justice system. It's just, they just know what they're supposed to say and that's what they're saying. But I have to know that this, this is quite a change, isn't it? In fact, one of the most instructive, and like I said, I'll, I'll get into some of the details and we'll, we'll jump into this together. You, I, 
somebody who used to have a clearance and worked in the intelligence community have a little bit of a of a leg up on the topic compared to a lot of the commentators out there because I've worked in this world. I know what FISA is, and I can tell you what's going on. But the the uh, favorite part of the of today for me, and this is what I've been saying for some days now, including here on this show and, and other shows where I've been appearing to set this one up. And I will note that you know, it was kind of fun that all my predictions were correct, but not that they were that outlandish. I'm just saying it's nice to be right five times in one thing. But the don't worry, I'll be I'll be humbled on Monday when I make a stock market prediction or something. Then I'll really then I'll remember that, you know, don't. Don't ever get too big for your britches there, Sexton. I'm a long way from that, guys, I promise. But the uh, the, ba- the best thing about today is seeing, one, people saying stuff like, it's a dud. It doesn't really mean anything. There's nothing in this that is uh, important for us to get into. And two, and this is the other great one, and I was sh- I was certain about this all along. Anyone who who had seen this memo, so that's Adam Schiff, the used ShamWow salesman, and all of the other Democrats standing around with him, uh, the people in the FBI who had seen it and complained, anyone who said that this was going to harm national security and had sources and methods concerns is a liar or an idiot. Full stop. They are a liar or an idiot. They were they were just playing games. There is nothing. There is no basis in this four-page memo, which I've probably read through 10 or 15 times today, right? There is no basis for national security concern. Nobody will be harmed because of this memo. Nobody is in jeopardy because of this memo. And U.S. national security is not in danger because of this memo. So what was all, how could they get it so wrong, everyone? How could they be making that claim? And I just have to note the whiplash that we all have. A few days ago, it was, oh, my gosh, if the memo comes out, you know, the Russians will win, the Chinese will invade, we're going to get nuked. And then today, eh, it's a, you know, it's a nothing burger. What? How do we go from one to the other? It's because the arguments against this, as I was telling you, are so disingenuous. They're not made in good faith. They're not arguments that the people making them believe are true or probably even feel good about, but they think that it's for a purpose. And the purpose was any do anything you can to soften the blow, do anything you can to undermine the truth. And for the Democrats, for the left, and for the deep state apparatus, which we got quite a window into here, my friends, it is real, it is a cabal, it's small in terms of the number, but it is powerful in terms of the influence at the DOJ and the FBI. So here we are with additional information about this. Um, there was some uh, or some great reporting on this today from folks uh, over at Fox. And our friend Sarah Carter, also who's been breaking stories all along on this issue. I want to jump into the specifics of this with you for just a moment. If I, if I, or for a few moments. I think it's worth taking some time on this. So what did we find out? What really matters here? Here's what happened. The shorthand version. Then I'll get the details. You had a 
an opposition research document paid for by the Hillary Clinton DNC during a presidential election year that relied on a foreigner, yes, Brits are foreigners, a foreigner speaking to or getting information from other foreigners, in this case the Russians, and then relying on that unverified information from the Russians, from a foreigner, taken to the FBI, and then the FBI uses that information to do an end run on the Fourth Amendment rights about search and seizure for a U.S. citizen and repeat that error four times over and even cite, as we find out today in the memo, a news item, a press uh, or a piece in the press from Yahoo News that also relied on the British foreign source who was relying on Russian foreign sources for his information. This is very, very disturbing. There is no way around this. I think it's fascinating to see people say, oh, well, you know, it's it's only a part. It's only a part of the overall picture of the Pfizer war. Well, let's just get this out there right away, everyone. If it is one component of it, my first objection to that line of reasoning is if you have a strong case to this is spying. Okay, this is spying. This is not. Remember, if it were if he were reasonably in or if it was a reasonable possibility that he was engaged in criminal activity, if they had a probable cause, FBI could have tapped this guy's phones or his emails or whatever it is. They didn't have that. Counterintelligence investigations operated in a much broader area of, well, we just need this information for national security reasons. So you better be damn sure whatever it is that's bringing you to that conclusion is at least based on sound information, right? Because the FBI, as I see it right now, would be subject to anyone walking in. I could walk in and say, yeah, you know, I know this guy named Abdul. I think he's friends with Osama bin Laden. Maybe you guys should just, you know, put out a, a FISA on him. And that is that enough? No, of course not. Right. That would be laughable. They'd have to use their discretion that they couldn't just if I'm talking, you know, if my imaginary friend here is a U.S. citizen, they can't just. Light him up, track him, rack him and stack him with whatever intelligence apparatus equipment that they can. I mean, that's crazy. But that seems to be what happened here with Carter Page. I would also note that Carter Page has not even been accused of any crime still to this day. Not none leaked. Nothing. There is nothing. New York Times ran a story a while ago saying the Russians, Russian intelligence tried to recruit him. I mean, that's also known as being a businessman who's in Russia, by the way. That's not uncommon. The Russians try to recruit all kinds of people who go over there. But the Times wants to make it seem like there's a scheme. Carter was trying to run his own little foreign policy portfolio, making connections. But there's nothing illegal or wrong with that. But the FISA court, back to my initial problem here, if the FISA court wasn't just relying on the dossier, If the FISA court was not relying on the dossier, then I want to know, what's the other information? What else is there? Release that information. This is where the Democrats are going to stall and stall. We're going to have the same argument. Oh, it's sources and methods. It's national security. We can't tell you. We can't tell you. Meanwhile, there's already reporting that that for the FISA warrant, in fact, the dossier was a top-line item, was critical. And you have a member of Congress who has already put it out there, I believe it's uh, Zellner, Congressman Zellner, who has said, oh, sorry, Zeldin, pardon me, 
uh, Zeldin, who has said the following via Twitter. We'll get to Comey's tweet later, guys. Don't worry. That's going to be fun. Here's Congressman uh, Zeldin. McCabe did, in fact, testify under oath that there would not have been a FISA warrant if not for the dossier. It was recorded. So either McCabe lied under oath and therefore perjured himself and should face criminal charges, or the dossier was, in fact, essential for the FISA warrant, which brings me back to my initial summation of this, which is that you had oppo research handed to the FBI, and then the FBI, in bad faith, went to the FISA court, didn't tell the FISA court there is, in fact, a judge. It's referred to as the FISC, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, F-I-S-C. But the DOJ went in front of the court and said, yeah, you know, this is this is this information. We need a FISA warrant on Carter Page. They did not Here, This is from the actual memo today. Quote, neither the initial application in October 2016 nor any of the renewals disclose or reference the role of the DNC Clinton campaign or any party campaign or campaign in funding Steele's efforts even though the political origins of the Steele dossier were then known to senior DOJ and FBI officials. The dossier, compiled by Christopher Steele on behalf of the Democratic National Committee and the Hillary Clinton campaign, formed an essential part of the Carter Page FISA application. Steele was a longtime FBI source who was paid over $160,000 by the DNC and Clinton campaign via the law firm Perkins uh, Co., and research firm Fusion GPS to obtain derogatory information on Donald Trump's ties to Russia, end quote. So they were playing dirty with the FISA court, everybody. But it gets even worse, by the way. The names that pop up in this, Comey, McCabe, Strzok, Orr, Yates, one of my personal favorites, Sally Yates, former acting attorney general, Hashtag resist attorney general would not do her job as acting attorney general because she hates Trump so much. And since she has left office or has left the DOJ, has been quite vocal about her hatred of Trump. One of the most important things in the entire memo that was out today was also that it was established as a record on as a fact on the record. That Christopher Steele, the former British intelligence officer who was running around doing all this stuff, that he, in fact, hated Donald Trump and was desperate to prevent him from becoming president. That's in the memo. Now, what I'm going to put forward to you right now is that it is very clear to me that, in fact, the same could be said of Yates and Comey and Orr and McCabe. They also despised Donald Trump and felt that they should do everything in their power, including the egregious abuse of their discretion to take down a president by finding those around him who could be targeted using the surveillance apparatus of the intelligence community, selectively leak their communications if need be, and bring this in because remember this was leaked to the media this whole if the FISA stuff was kept silent we wouldn't even know about it they were leaking this they were trying to take Trump down with this completely bogus nonsense nincompoop filled 
Russia collusion narrative. We have established that today. We now have proof. But before we can take this to the jury, in this case, the American people, we need more. We need more information. More questions have to be asked. More answers have to be found. We will get to that work together. More on this show. Stay with me. This is a tipping point for our democracy. Are we going to be a democracy after today, or is this going to be demagoguery and despotism? The simple fact of the matter is, he talks about transparency, and this is an administration that hasn't had a solo press conference in a year. They haven't had a press briefing in the last week and a half. They don't talk to the press. We have to go on the South Lawn to try and get in touch with the president and shout questions at him. That's disingenuous. And by the way, if you're going to be transparent, then you release the Democratic version of it as well. What the heck is this guy talking about over at CNN? Or are we going to even have a democracy? Are we going to have a democracy after this memo is released? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a, first of all, it's a republic. Second of all, I think we're going to be okay. I think it's going to be all right, my friend. Just just calm down. I have to say my favorite, uh, my favorite Buck tweet from earlier in the day. This one, for some, this one really, uh, whatever reason, this one really resonated with people. And it was... <laughs> Everyone needs to calm down. Comey has an inspirational tweet coming with a photo of a lake that will address all of this. Uh, Comey did have a a tweet that he sent out. Not of a lake, and it was not inspirational, though. Um, But almost as if on cue, in response to what I wrote about Comey, you had an actual Comey tweet. Here's what he wrote about the memo. That's it? Dishonest and misleading memo wrecked the House Intel Committee, destroyed trust with intelligence community, damaged relationship with FISA court, and inexcusably, inexcusably exposed classified investigation of an American citizen. For what? DOJ and FBI must keep doing their jobs. Every single thing in that Comey tweet is either an exaggeration or a lie. Now, given that Comey, as we find out in this memo, authorized Three of the four FISA warrants on Carter Page, a U.S. citizen with a some affiliation to the Trump campaign. I think we should go back and rethink some of our Comey's America's last true public servant crap that we've been fed by the media. Let me go through this tweet for, for a second. He says dishonest and misleading memo. OK, what's dishonest about it? Where, where it's misleading? How? What is there? And then destroyed trust with intelligence community. How did it destroy trust with the intelligence community? First of all, the intelligence community has 17 agencies. This just involves FBI and DOJ. And why is it destroyed? Why does it destroy trust to have them doing oversight? They went through a completely legitimate process, a legal process for the release of this memo. So what's the. What, does the intelligence community think they can do stuff and Congress doesn't get to know and the president doesn't get to tell the American people about it? I don't think so. An inexcusably exposed classified investigation of an American citizen? Oh, please. Comey is such a punk. This stuff has been leaked. The New York Times has been running story after story after story about how Carter Page was under surveillance. You know, maybe at some point he should get the right to either have his name cleared or have charges brought, but Democrats are just in this for the smears, my friends.
He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Welcome back, team. Let me share with you what I wrote today on TheHill.com right when the memo broke here, because I think it's a pretty good summation of where we are in all this. By no means does this memo end the issue of so-called deep state spying on Trump or the Russia collusion narrative. Those debates will continue on, likely with more ferocity than ever. We now need more disclosures and even greater transparency into the issue of spying on Trump and the Russia collusion fiasco. But now we have clear evidence that, yes, Trump associates were targets of intelligence surveillance using a flimsy partisan pretext that only makes sense if those advancing it from the corridors of government power were filled with a judgment-clouding hatred for all things Trump. This is a bad day for a handful of senior officials within our government, the Democrats who worked so strenuously to keep this information from the light of day, and those in the media who have debased their craft to serve the Russia collusion narrative with no hint of skepticism or even-handedness. For the American people who want the truth, however, it is just the start. End quote. Uh, that, so that's where I am on this. I figured I'd just share with you. That's what I think is going on here. And it's true. I would note that Devin Nunes was just on TV with Brett Baer and said, quote, this is just the first memo. There will be another one dealing specifically with the State Department's role in all of this. Oh, isn't that going to be interesting? You had anti-Trumpers in the bureaucratic apparatus who were playing games here, folks. And speaking of the anti-Trumpers in the bureaucratic apparatus, the names that come in for special treatment here, Comey, Sally Yates, Strzok, they have all been clearly anti-Trump for quite some time. McCabe, Orr, and Rod Rosenstein also mentioned in this. I mean, Bruce Orr at the FBI thought that it would be okay to keep on meeting with Steele to treat Steele as a source. And I would just note that you're getting into some weird gray areas here to begin with. When you're a private intelligence gun for hire, are you also treated like a journalist? Do you get to put the journalist hat on one day and, you know, then, then not? Is this clown nose on, clown nose off? You know, sometimes you're a hired gun with an agenda. Other times you get to be a journalist or a source for the FBI. Which is it? Which one is it? But Orr's wife just happened to be working at Fusion GPS on the dossier put together by Christopher Steele. So Orr's wife is involved in putting together this information, so Orr keeps on feeding this information, believes in its credibility to the FBI. And I would just note that what's in that dossier, I've read through the dossier in full a few times, I'm sure many of you have as well. The only parts of it that are, quote, verified or corroborated are things like so-and-so traveled to Russia at this point, and there's news reports about it. Nothing else has panned out for these people. I mean, the, they have lost their minds. There is a psychosis now that is clearly at the heart of a lot of the Russia collusion hysteria. People have had a break with reality because new information does not affect their judgment of the situation at all. New information doesn't change their stance. Just for the purposes of a thought experiment for a moment here, do me a favor. Think about what the media's reaction would have been 
if in the first year of Obama's presidency, there was a whole storyline about a massive conspiracy between President Obama and Russia. That was the only reason that he got elected. And then we found out that it was actually Citizens United paying for some guy to run around and pick up rumors, rumant, as we would call it in the intelligence business, rumor intelligence, which is just a funny way of saying rumors. Pick up rumant, throw it together in some slapdash, unfinalized report, and then use that as the basis or as a primary basis for counterintelligence surveillance. If what Carter Page was doing was so bad, folks, there's no need to go to the FISA court because you could get a criminal warrant against him. But the mainstream and the left are so dumb. They're so incapable of facing the truth on this. They're so terrified of their credibility just being sprayed as refuse all over the lawn. That they won't look at the facts as they're presented. They pretend to be incapable of putting together necessary data points and drawing conclusions from them. They'd rather be dumb than wrong, or they'd rather be dishonest than wrong, or a combination of, of the two. So this is, uh, is troubling. I, I want to dig a little more, though, into the, the Comey-Yates-Struck side of this. I mean, keep in mind, there have been criminal leaks from someone in the government, I think from some people in the government, there have been criminal leaks, all negative against Trump, there's been no leaks that help Trump of of information that's classified. This isn't a leak. This is through the necessary declassification process. But there have been criminal leaks to hurt the Trump administration from people who are very high up and people who thought that they could cover their tracks and get away with it. We still have not found out how the Washington Post was told the contents of a phone call between a Russian ambassador, Sergei Kizilyak, and former National Security Advisor, General Flynn, or Mike Flynn. We still haven't found that person. There is somebody at a very senior level, almost certainly at the DOJ, who decided to get even. No one has been held accountable for that. That was a crime. That was the worst kind of abuse of intelligence powers for political reasons. No one has been, there's nothing, nothing on that one. And I think we should start looking into some of these names. Any serious person looks at this information and says, Sally Yates hates Trump. Comey hates Trump. McCabe hates Trump. I mean, you just go down the line, all of them. All of them. And look at how long it's taken us even to get to this point. I would note that I'm seeing this stuff. Oh, Carter Page, the FISA, the, you know, the, they, they were surveilling him beforehand because of his connections to foreigners. OK, so what exactly has Carter Page done that's illegal, anyone? Well, what, what are we what are we waiting for? They haven't flipped Page. No charges against Page. So it was just a fishing expedition. Well, I would note that they used Carter Page, this insignificant fellow, they used the FISA warrant on him and the surveillance of him as the excuse for this whole Russia collusion thing. The whole thing falls apart. There is no other there is no other collusion narrative for them. This is it. 
hearing about all this meddling. And okay, yeah, you want to look into Facebook and Twitter bots and sock puppets, fine. Knock yourself out. We're never going to stop that. It's not new, and it didn't do anything in the election. And you know what they need to hear over there at CNN and MSNBC? Even if it did do something about the election, Trump had nothing to do with it, so tough breaks. Hillary worshippers, stinks for you. If the American people were fooled into believing Russian bots, guess what? They're allowed to make that decision. And we're not about to invade Russia or go to war with them because Hillary didn't get to be president. This whole thing is just a joke. It should be, it's a, it's a day of disgrace. I mean, Comey's the worst, but I've told you this. A guy who can sleep soundly at night, who sends Martha Stewart to prison for what, for, remember, Comey was the one pushing that. A guy who does not feel sick to his stomach about that completely trumped-up nonsense. Oh, Valerie Plain, what are we going to do? Oh, my gosh, you know, the whole, everything's, yeah. She was posing in Vanity Fair like two days after the story broke. She was so worried about what was going to happen. And Please. Oh, we found out about her, by the way, nice little anti-Semite. But, you know, the, the media was with her until it came out that she was an anti-Semite. You know, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, gosh, maybe we uh, shouldn't have made a movie where we had Naomi Watts playing her. Yeah, you don't say. Tell it to Scooter Libby. Mortgage his house, took his life savings, right to practice law. Still a convicted felon, just had a sentence commuted. For what? The political tantrum of the anti-Bush left. We're in the same place. These people just have no honor, folks. That's what it really comes down to. They have no honor. They have no integrity. They have no decency. They don't question their assumptions. They don't question their biases. They think they're always right. They're like a bunch of spoiled children, except in this case, the spoiled children were running the FBI and running the DOJ. That's pretty scary. I mean, no accountability unless we push for it. They think they'll get away with the whole thing. They should be ashamed. I'm seeing this. You know, CNN, it's, it's like nothing. Like nothing's going on. And I'm seeing this. Why is John McCain saying Trump is doing Putin's job for him with the memos release? That's in, that's a dumb statement. I mean, John McCain. Uh, you know, I always want people to say, oh, you know, you can't criticize John McCain. Yeah, we all respect his service to the country. But do, do I need to only have my friends who are. Special operations, current and former, be like, yeah, I've kicked indoors and gotten shot and gotten wounded. And like, I think John McCain's, you know, acting like a jerk. Are they the only ones who are allowed to say it? Because that's how it feels sometimes with the media. Because what he says, I mean, that's that's an idiotic statement doing Putin's work for him. And we're talking about very basic civil liberties here, due process, rule of law. I, I think it's so interesting that Carter Page, yeah, whatever. So we were just, you know, looking at all this stuff. Based on based on crap. If there's more to it, if there's more to it than what we already know, then they damn sure better tell us what that is. But as I've already said, to you, if there's more to it, why would they include the dossier? Remember the little story I told you about college admissions and how my friend at admissions once told me the thicker the the thicker the uh, file, the thicker the candidate. If you got a good case, it's easy to make. You got a straightforward case, you just do it. When you start padding it and stacking it with with fluff, with nonsense, there's a reason. You're telling me they included 
something that literally could have and basically was written in Hillary Clinton headquarters for the campaign about her opponent. And they they put that in here and they didn't think that was a problem. I mean, I remember being told that the, at the agency, you abuse FISA, you're going to prison, right? You put this information out there. If, if you break your oath, you, this is a criminal violation. FISA is very, very powerful and secret for a reason. And we're seeing, well, look at the Kizilyak Flynn conversation. Oh, leaked that one, took Flynn out. Look at how these people are playing the game. And look at how it never goes in the opposite direction. Uh, I mean, this is, look, I know people are saying the memo, the memo doesn't end this, but it does really show us just how dark and really depraved the other side is when it comes to this whole Russia thing. And how they don't, they don't care. They're not at, they're not in this for the truth, folks. Strap in and get ready for it. It does. There is literally nothing. I'm not exactly, I mean that there is literally nothing that could come to light. There is nothing that we could prove. There is nothing that could be demonstrable fact that will stop the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, leftist media industrial complex from going on and pretending that Trump won the election because of Russia and he's a traitor. There is nothing. So we just have to keep fighting and at least try to convince as many of our fellow Americans as possible that this whole thing is it's a blank show. All right. Well, I got to hit a break. I want to hear from all you. What do you guys think about the memo? I'm sure you read it. What do you think? 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We'll get into that in next hour, some action movie quotes, too, because we got to have some funks. It's a Friday. We'll be right back. that one out he was asked that was trump he was asked do you think you might fire rosenstein or do you still have confidence in him rosenstein uh, you know is, is in charge he's the ag number two or, i'm sorry the uh, doj number two because sessions recused himself from all this stuff right sessions sessions is great you know if you're in a street fight and you need somebody to be a few blocks away who's like no i'm just here if you need me you know just just give me a holler it's like sessions where are you uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I think you should fire Rosenstein. Absolutely. The, that Rosenstein, if my understanding is Rosenstein had a problem with this memo coming out, that is unacceptable. There's nothing in this memo that exposes sources and methods. There's nothing in this memo that is sensitive. This is stuff that we absolutely had to know. It's effectively a confirmation of what was already out there. But now we don't get to re- we don't have to rely on, you know, what The New York Times feels like doling out to us from their sources at DOJ, everybody. Now we actually have some source material to work with. Oh. All right. Let's take Sam in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, Sam. I share your passion and your frustration with uh, these liberal uh, hacks, man. They just drive me insane with what they're doing. But I got a couple questions. Uh, so, so you got it right, 100%. Are you going to Vegas next week? Oh, you mean on the uh, on the predictions for the memo? On the predictions. Oh yeah. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm I'm just happy if you all if you all feel like you you trust my analysis, maybe just even a little bit more now. Oh yeah, I'm a believer. Yeah, I'm I'm a shields high believer. Thank hey, you, sir. But do you, do you feel still feel that there's nothing that can cause heads to roll in here? 
You know, it's... As far as legalities? Mm, you know, Sam, it's tough because, and I've been saying this to you all along, they can... Incompetence never gets you sent to prison in the government, right? That's just yeah. the truth. Incompetence pretty much is, is, is bulletproof, so to speak, defense from criminal jeopardy as a government employee. You have to have malicious intent or you have to do something, take affirmative steps, you know, knowingly and willfully. And so even though their inclusion of opposition research is unethical, is wildly inappropriate, I don't see what statute it would violate. You see what I'm saying? And and my understanding is also that under the law, they don't have to tell the FISA court necessarily. Um, you know, well, here's a better way to put it. A lie of omission to the FISA court is not going to stand up as a lie in court that you could be prosecuted for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I don't, well, but, uh, but there could be something in the future. And I've said the leaks, the leak about Flynn and Kizilyak, that's a, that's a criminal offense straight up. And they can find, I mean, look, they know what paper published it, right? Obama set the precedent for going after journalists. I know journalists would all of a sudden care about it again if the Trump administration did it, but published in the Washington Post. Hey, man, thanks for all that you do, and uh, it's a great pleasure to hear you uh, fight for our country every night. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Shields high. Thank you. Very kind. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, I kind of went five for five on that one. Went five for five. It is Friday, so why don't we give everybody the op- – the op- we'll give them the all clear for the next hour that it is time for AMFF. Wait, no. AMQF. <laughs> Whoops. Go. Movie quote Friday. Sorry, John. That's a new thing. Action. You've got to ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Movie. This is Sparta! Quote. Say hello to my new friend! Fridays. Action movie quote Fridays. 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825. Action movie quotes, memo thoughts, whatever you've got, team. Ribeye searing recipes, you name it, we're open for it. We'll be right back. Hour two coming up. He's back with you now because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. But the newly declassified Republican staff memo states that the former British spy who was paid by Democrats to put together the Trump dossier had a personal animus towards the candidate, Donald Trump. Christopher Steele was hired by the opposition research firm Fusion GPS for the project in April 2016. Five months later, according to the Republican investigators, he told the top Justice Department official, in September 2016, Christopher Steele admitted to Bruce Orr his feelings against then-candidate Trump when Steele said he, quote, was desperate that Donald Trump not get elected and was passionate about him not being president. The Nunes memo is troubling. What you see in here is, if it's right, that the FBI relied on a document paid by Hillary Clinton's campaign to start as an essential part of why they got a FISA warrant. That's not the way our system is supposed to work. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. There you had Catherine Herridge of Fox News and Ari Fleischer, former White House press secretary, just uh, going through some of what's important from today's memo release. You know, I'm seeing people now, the, the left is all running with, oh, but there's more information. All right, let's see it. Let's see this more information. We should know. 
We should know what it is. And I need someone to explain to me if they had much better stuff for a FISA warrant on Carter Page. And this does not make the whole FISA process look very good, does it? I mean, what, what kind of checks and balances can we really have? How can we think that the FISA court is anything but a rubber stamp if the Fusion GPS dossier could in any way, shape, or form find its way into a FISA court's request? But if they had other stuff, well, then why, why put this in there at all? Why put this in? Think about everyone. What what this effectively means, what the Fusion GPS dossier used in a FISA warrant process means is that any political candidate for office could have his henchman or her henchman, in the case of Hillary, hire somebody to run around, dig up some dirt, or just fabricate it. One of the classic... In, uh, techniques of intelligence and counterintelligence just make stuff up disinformation campaign right you could fabricate information and then have somebody who has some relationship with the fbi oh that's right like bruce Orr's wife who worked for fusion gps some person with a relationship to vouch for that person and they go in there and they just say yeah here i would like you to spy on people affiliated with the presidential campaign because of this. And the information doesn't have to be verified. The information doesn't have to be true. Guys, I mean, this is like the FISA intelligence court equivalent of swatting somebody. It just ran in there. It was a hit job. Oh, yeah. You know, here's the stuff we got together. On Carter Page, he, he's he's in the fusion, or he's uh, covered in this dossier we have. Oh, no, he just happens to be, or happens to have been working for the Trump administration. Now, this is where this can get very, this can get lost in translation very quickly. If they're going to say now that Carter Page, this is all separate from Trump in some way, and that he is not the region for Russia collusion, Go back and look at how the whole story of Russia collusion with the Trump administration was built. It was all about leaks, leaks that were based on the Carter Page storyline. So what they did is they they had a situation where one person was under surveillance and then they kept le- leaking these stories about, oh, somebody traveled to Russia, senior advisor to Trump under surveillance. There's an active FISA warrant under surveillance. Those, by the way, those are all criminal leaks. Who's doing the leaking? I think we know, right? We have, we have a handful. We're not sure who is responsible for any individual leak or individual leaks yet. But I think we got some ideas. I could play some bets. Right now I'm feeling pretty frisky about my ability to predict the future, so there's some names that come to mind who thought that it was necessary to leak. I mean, you did have an acting attorney general, for example, who decided to go full-on Never Trump, anti-Trump, and just to profane the office of the attorney general on the way out. Not her call to be like, I don't like what you're doing. Not her call. Remember, she didn't resign. She got fired. She just said, I'm not doing it. You want to resign on principle? Welcome to do that as a government servant anytime. But you stay and say, no, you got to fire me. What is that? That's just nullifying the system, right? Think about if anybody else did that. You know, think about if you had a bunch of uh, leftist 
Democrat judges. Oh, you know, I just refuse to see any cases today. I'm just not going to do my job because I don't like Trump. We have to go through the process of impeaching them. I mean, what are you going to do? It's just a way to try to throw grains of sand into the machinery of the watch of government, right? That's all that was. These people are a complete disgrace, and they're so smug, too. Ugh, Comey. That guy's really high on my list of just, ugh, the worst. The worst. And I've known it all along. Because anybody who thought that the Patrick Fitzgerald special prosecutor with the whole Valerie Plame affair, anyone who thought that wasn't just a completely overblown political hit is either a liar or an idiot. I mean, we're really getting down into that territory now where those are the only choices that are left for a lot of this stuff. And if it's really true that there's more on Carter Page, I want to know what it is. We should have access to that information. We should know why it is that the federal government was tracking this guy. I've seen this stuff, but all oh, the Russians tried to recruit him. That's 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 nothing. The, the Russians the Russians pitch you because you travel to their country and you don't know that there are intelligence operatives that are pitching you. And this is just based on the New York Times reporting. Then they get then the government gets to track all your all your U.S. citizen. They get to track your communications just, you know, for the foreseeable. If they had other stuff, why use the dossier, folks? The dossier was padding at a minimum, if not the pr- the primary reason it was padding. If they had a real case, they wouldn't have had to put it in there. If they had a real case, we would know what the rest of the case was. I would also note that Carter Page run around giving interviews. They got nothing on this guy. So that's kind of a little disconcerting, too, isn't it? That you could be a U.S. citizen who, who not a single person has yet even come up with what Carter Page, what crime he theoretically was committing. And yet he's under surveillance. Oh, 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 that's interesting. So the government now can tap your phone just because, you know, they kind of have a hunch because hashtag counterintelligence. I'm sorry. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. I think we should be having that Pfizer reauthorization debate now, by the way. Should really be looking at this much more closely. Not a foreigner. Foreigners, sorry, different ball game. We, you know, we, we want to look into what foreigners are doing, whatever, intelligence community. God bless. Go for it. Constitution protects U.S. citizens from that kind of behavior. And that this got mixed up into a presidential campaign in an election year in any way and has been used now continuously as a nemesis for the Trump administration. That's what this Russia collusion Mueller probe is. I mean, I asked the question, without Carter Page, without the Pfizer warrant, do you have a Mueller probe? Why do we have this Mueller probe? Oh, to look into Russia election meddling. We don't need Mueller to ask Facebook for information on Russian bots. So do we even have this investigation if not for this trumped up Pfizer warrant? That's the real question. And people can tell me, oh, there are other reasons they're looking at Carter Page. Okay, I'd like to know what they are. And I'd like to know what it has to do with Trump. Because if the problems that Carter Page had, you see, I know you, you got, they're so slippery. You have to really nail them down, folks. This is what the Democrats are saying. The Adam Schiff's used Shamwell, uh, used Shamwell salesman in chief, Adam Schiff. Uh, this is where they start to, you know, when you really pin them down, they get all squirmy. They'll say, well, Carter Page was under surveillance before, or he was on the FBI's radar before he worked for Trump. The investigation started before he worked for Trump. Okay. So then what does this have to do with Trump? 
were they just going after Page as a private citizen, the Russians, and then this all got dragged in? Because then, what is what's the basis for what is the basis for the Mueller probe? That's really what you have to be asking now. If Carter Page's association with Donald Trump did not coincide with the the beginning of the counterintelligence investigation on on Carter Page, why do we have any reason to believe that Trump or any of his top people had anything to do with it? You see what I'm saying? They can't have it both ways. They say, oh, well, the Fusion GPS isn't the reason that they were looking at Carter Page. There was other stuff, and it started before he was working for Trump. Okay, so is this a Manafort situation? Yeah, Manafort did some shady stuff overseas. Nothing to do with Trump. Is that what we have here? I think it might be, and guess what? That means that the whole Russia collusion narrative is fabricated. It is false. And it means that no one should ever take a place like MSNBC or CNN seriously, never mind a whole bunch of pundits, journalists, authors, and all the rest of it ever again. 844-900-BUCK. We got we to gotta get in some lines, uh, some phone. I know every single line's been lit the whole show, which I appreciate that, guys. I know a lot of you are calling in, and we've only got six lines that are open. But we will get into these calls. Uh, I want to rack them and stack them. I want to hear from all of you. Just keep in mind, as, as we take calls, uh, lines open up. So if you haven't been able to get in yet, because I know we got lit up like a Christmas tree right away in here, uh, you'll have a chance. 844-900-BUCK. Uh, just call in as soon as somebody drops, uh, drops off, and uh, we'll get to some calls. Stay right with me. All right, lines lit, team. Let's get to it. Jesse in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hey, Jesse. How's it going, brother Buck? Shields high. Shields high, man. Thank you for calling in. Look here, man. I got a question and an observation. My observation is this. You know, from what I know about this FISA court deal is these judges are rotated federal judges. And... With any luck, none of them come from the Ninth District. But uh, yeah, I've spent most of my life in law enforcement after my exodus from the Army, and my family's all been in law enforcement, either prosecutor- prosecutorially or as cops. And the one thing that I've learned over my years is if you really, really want to upset a judge, lie to him. Oh, so, Absolutely. Should we anticipate some repercussion from this nonsense now that the judge the judge that was involved in this FISA warrant knows he was hoodwinked? You know, I don't I don't think so, because, first of all, the, the, the big advantage from a government malfeasance point of view that the FISA court has is that the proceedings are so secret and secretive. Uh, such that, you know, it's punishable by law. Although, you know, grand jury proceedings are secret. There's other stuff that happens in courts that aren't necessarily about classified, as, as you well know, in law enforcement uh, that you have to keep under wraps, too. But the uh, the reality here is I think that there won't be any repercussions. They will just say that there was no obligation to inform the FISA court about the entirety of the background of the information they were giving, they were just presenting the information. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I would still think there'd be a strong case for at least contempt to court because they went in there full knowing that they were full of it. They knew that everything that they were presenting to this court was lie or was based on hearsay. And, and 
I can't see any judge in good standing and good good moral conscience that wouldn't be upset about this. Yeah, I I, mean, I, I agree with you. They're making a fool out of themselves. They're making a fool out of that particular court. You know, I I don't have uh I don't have a, a clear insight into the day to day workings of the actual FISA court. I really understand FISA more as a process and as a tool. But in terms of going going before a judge, you know that's that wasn't my that wasn't my deal. So I don't know, man. Yeah. Look, Jesse, you raise a very valid point. Maybe I'll see if we can get Andy McCarthy to come weigh in on that one next week, and I'll say, look, can one of those judges see see what I would we were at Jesse? Is I feel like the judge think about how difficult it was to get this information out, even though Congress and the president wanted to do it. I'm sure oh, a judge has all kinds of national security gag orders in effect for it. So I don't even know what the process would be for a FISA judge to come forward and try to hold someone in contempt. I don't know if, you know what I'm saying? I don't even, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, the, you know, the, that's what gets me, is, is it would be different if there were any real basis to anything they presented to the court. But this whole thing was nothing but smoke and mirrors, and now the court knows it. So that, that just kind of got me scratching my head. My question for you is, oh, you're going to love this. Um, right. I mean, like the next day after this memo was made public, you know, people start talking about it. All of a sudden, Trey Gowdy decides he's not going to run for reelection. And his response to the to the media was, I'm going in. I'm going in to prosecute prosecutorial law. Do you think there's a little bit? Is that one of those things that make you go, hmm? Because, I mean, he's been the pit bull. Of Washington for years. I mean, he when he grabs hold of a bone, he don't turn it loose. Yeah, and, I, I, I did definitely made me go. Hmm. I tried to try to get that across here on the show. I just don't believe that a guy like Trey Gowdy, who's who's been to the big dance, so to speak, is just going to fade out now. He's a young guy. He's got a lot of a lot of mileage left on him, if you know what I mean. And I just don't well, think you know. I, I don't see him just disappearing into the night to go, you know run a wood shop somewhere. So I, I, the answer is I don't know, Jesse, but I agree with you that it's a hmm. And I would love for him to come back as I would love for him to come back as attorney general, by the way. So that would be that would yeah. be my. Well, but the thing with me is, is, you know, it, it, it's his timing is pretty miraculous, really, because let's be real honest. We don't have anybody on Hill right now with the stones to go after the players that are involved in this game. Look, I hear maybe maybe he gets appointed special counsel to look into the special counsel. You know, who knows, man? But Jesse Shields, hi, and thank you very much for the call. I do appreciate it, my friend. Uh, let's take that would be interesting, right? If, if Trey Gowdy, think about that. They put him in a position where he would be the one that gets to look into what's been going on here with all the other players in this mess. Uh, let's take uh, Charlotte in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Charlotte. Hi, I was calling because uh, your a comment about media industrial complex, I said, that's right. That's exactly what it is. That's why these people are so diabolical and so desperate, because they started something under Obama, and Trump has kicked the foundation out from underneath it. They wanted to impoverish us and, and make us become, like, hopeless, depressed, and uh, Trump has given us new life and jobs and people to hope for something. And these Obama people are like holding on to desperation for their grand plan of, you know, some kind of global socialization. And uh, it, uh, Trump is uh, 
dangerous to their plans. That's why they pulled out all stops and became so desperate. That's in my opinion. When I was watching those Democrats sit in the a house at the State of the Union, I said, why aren't they applauding for certain things, you know? And th- that's because they want power. Nothing's going to make them happy except for the, the the power that they got drunk on during Obama. That's absolutely so, true. And I, I would just note, Charlotte, to, to add into what you're saying, that the way the media has set this up now, and when, when I say the media, you, you all know what I'm talking about, not conservative websites, talk radio, and Fox News, and some other smaller channels that are out there. But all the big channels, all the big newspapers, they are so tainted by their hatred of Trump that they cannot even be trusted to process new information and and view it with clear eyes as to how it affects this whole Russia collusion narrative. They are so invested. They are all in against Trump. All their chips are on the table and the chips are meant to say that Trump has to go down. They are betting on it. They are left with nothing if he doesn't. So that's what's going on here, Charlotte. Thank you very much for calling in from Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's it's crazy out there, man. It's crazy. I don't know what's going to happen here with uh, the next memos to drop, though. I want to see that Democrat memo. I want to see Schiff, those cold, dead eyes of Adam Schiff. I, I, I just want to see him, you know, staring into the camera and telling us all, well, here's the Democrat memo. And we look at it, we're like, uh, okay, what exactly, what exactly are you trying to say here with this memo? Because if you're just going to tell us there's information that you can't tell us, but that also means the information we do know is worth nothing, sorry, not just going to buy that as the Democrat response. We got more. Stay with me. Other shows just talk at you. In the Freedom Hut, we have a mission. All right, we, are we fight for the truth in a team effort. Roger, Roger. And Buck is back with our next play. All right, let's get in some calls here. We have Kevin in Scottsdale, Arizona. Hey, Kevin. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey buddy. Shields high. Shields high. Shields high, dude. Hey, congratulations. I got to say, I've been listening to you for years. And to see you on Fox News, man, uh, it's going to sound weird, but I'm very proud of you, dude. Keep go, keep doing it, man. Great job. Thank you. I, I do what I can. Hey, so, I, all right, I'm going to alleviate some of the pain today, and I got a movie quote for you, okay? Yeah. Now, now to give you a hint, this is a movie back in the 80s. It's an action movie, but it is not a comedy. It's not the Schwarzenegger. It's a real action movie. And I have a feeling you might have watched this. So I have two options for you. I can give you several lines from this movie or... Or I can give you one name of a character from the movie, which I think both have equal weight in giving you a hint to what the movie is. Uh, well, it's is. Action Movie Quote Friday, so you got to give me a line. Hopefully, you know, it has to be a line that's not like, I would like water with dinner, right? It has to be a line with some no, meaning. No, right, but, right. Yeah. Okay, right, go ahead. Like, like Charles Bronson says, uh, yeah, okay, okay. So, I got a couple lines, so I think this is fair. Okay, the lines are, <clears throat> your time has come, a storm is coming, our storm and when it arrives, it will shake the universe. Emperor, we come for you. Okay, I'm gonna give you the last line. Last right. line. You tell me, it, it, I can't. I can't yell this, but it has to be screamed out. Long live the fighters. I right, mean, you got me. I had no idea. Hit the buzzer. What is this? Dude. 
I've never Dude, seen man. Dune. I've never seen Good Dune. Lord. I've heard of it. Sure. Is that an action movie? I think that's sci-fi, Home Slice. I don't know. Dude, it's sci-fi action. And by uh, the way, it's about the, uh, the jihadis in the future. I don't know, Great my movie. main man. I don't know. It's Dune's a little sci-fi. You're pushing the envelope with action there. Look, I'll... We'll, we'll we'll include it. You know, I've turned to the Jeopardy judges here, and they've they've decided to allow it this time. But next time, you come correct with an action movie quote. Thank you for calling in, brother okay. Kevin. I appreciate it, man. I got I got a roll. Thank you, sir. Um, let's get uh, Rick in Niceville, Florida. Sounds like a lovely place. Hey, Rick. Hey, hey, how you doing, sir? I'm good, sir. How are you? All right, all right. I got an action movie line here. That's really an action movie. Not, not to degrade the previous fella, but I would like to afterwards give a, a line from a, a, a um, war movie that I think people can use in their social media. Anyway, the action line is this. Um, <clears throat> what are you, the boyfriend? Huh? Hey, boyfriend, where's the body? Tell me if you need more. I mean, a little more, because that's pretty vague. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Let's start off. Well, here we go then. Well, in the, 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 uh, <laughs> it's like a one man play we're doing right here. And then off stage, he says. It's a good one. But, uh, take a guess. I don't know, man. I got nothing. What? What is this? Hit the buzz. Terminal velocity with Charlie Sheen. You got to see that one. Is that is that where he's like a parachute guy or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. That is one of the best action movies. I thought you would eat this one. Man, I don't know. We're getting we're getting into like next thing I know, you guys are going to start bringing Dolph Lundgren's like third tier films up. Which oh man, yeah, real yeah. I'm I'm going to say it. It gets real sketchy there, where Dolph is like barely speaking English. He's just like flexing his muscles and kicking people. All right, all right, Rick, you got me though, and you have a shield. Oh, you wanted a, a military quote? I'll let you. I'll I'll allow it this time. What's your military quote? The, the military quote, you know, in, uh, when uh, I use this on Facebook, when people complain about little things, you get the clip from uh, Platoon, where Tom Berenger says, uh, shut up, take the pain, take the pain. And you can get a, a YouTube clip on that. And, yeah, no, you know, I, 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 no, I know people. Platoon very well. And uh, I, 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 cel- I celebrate Tom Berenger's whole catalog, Platoon, Sniper, all kinds of stuff. Thanks for calling in, Rick. Appreciate it. Shields high. Major League. It was Major League. That's right. Great movie, by the way. You know, I will say one thing. People were giving me a little bit of, of the business today because, yes, it is it is Groundhog Day, right? Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow. So that, uh, you know, that happened. But I said Bill Murray, I, I said I think uh, Bill Murray's top ten involves Groundhog Day. Some people are telling me they think Groundhog Day is Bill Murray's best all-time movie. I think that's a little much. I think it's definitely in the conversation in the top five. I don't think I don't think there's any way it beats out Ghostbusters or Caddyshack, though. I just don't, you know. Guys, you know, we're not animals. We're not savages here. We gotta keep it real. So I, I just don't see that. But yeah, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Uh let's get Scott in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey Scott. Hey, Buck. How you doing? Really enjoy your show. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, sir. I appreciate that. Yeah, I just have a comment about the Democrats' reaction to this memo. You know, it's kind of funny. The last four to six years, they have done nothing but vilify law enforcement and despise the rule of law 
in this nation. And now, all of a sudden, they're lifting up law enforcement, the FBI, as saints. I'm not buying it. I actually tweeted out something about that just a couple of days ago. Very, very similar sentiment. I'm like, so we were told for the last few years of the Obama administration that police were irredeemably racist. There was systemic bias in the whole law enforcement system. And there, look, there was a lot of of uh, sympathy and, uh, you know, sympathy and, and you could even say collusion from the media with the Black Lives Matter movement, which led to some neighborhoods getting burned down in part and riots in some places. And they were always, oh, but, you know, the police racism is so bad. And now those same reporters, I mean, I'm not saying just like Democrats in general. I'm talking about I, I could name some of the reporters. I could name some of the journalists. Those same people are now turning around like, oh, my gosh, you're undermining the FBI. And I want to be like, look, you know. In most of our day-to-day lives, you know, no offense to FBI agents who are listening, but in our day-to-day lives, it's actually local law enforcement and state troopers that are the ones that are keeping, you know, bad guys from kicking in Granny's door and stealing all of her valuables. You know what I mean? So undermining local police is actually really dangerous to us. Holding the FBI, which has incredible federal power, accountable—that to me isn't undermining. That's ne- that's necessary. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it's an excellent observation, Scott. We share the same observation. Shields high, buddy. Thank you for calling in. Uh, Noel in Vir- Virginia Beach, Virginia. Hey. Hey, what's going on? Shields high. Shields high. Yeah, I had a comment. I think so far what you said about the, the memo between you, Hannity, and Russia may have nailed the, the whole uh, analysis of it for like the past year. I mean, it's nice getting the confirmation and everything. Yes, thank you. But, it's good to be right. But uh, also, I got an action movie clip for you. And, uh, let's, see, let's see if you. Uh, All right, I, I got to redeem myself. I've kind of been off my game today. Although Dune, now that he's gone, I'm just gonna say, man, man. <laughs> Dune is sci-fi. Get that, get that weak sauce out of here. Go ahead, no. No, this is sci-fi. Okay, All right, here we go. All right. All right, brother, when you raise your shield, so will I. Sister, when you charge at the enemy, so will I. And if death awaits us, calling his warriors home. Let me go die smiling by your side, for we are family. That's an awesome quote. I want that inscribed on my tombstone. Um, so I'll just take the hit over and say I don't know, but that's amazing. I, whatever this movie is, I have to see it. Uh, Acts of Violence with uh, Bruce Willis and Cole Hauser. I have never even heard of that movie. What's what's the basic uh, what's the basic plot? Uh, this uh, vet uh, with uh, like PTSD, sort of, or he's having some issues. Or his brother's wife gets kidnapped by some um, white slavery outfit in Cleveland, and they go. He and his buddies, his brothers, go on a hunt with automatic weapons to try to hunt down the people that took her. It's a little bit like Without Remorse, then the Tom Clancy novel that I mentioned on the show a while back, which I read when I was like thirteen or fourteen, and it's quite a yeah, that's quite a novel to read when you're in the fifth or sixth grade. You're like, damn. But anyway, yeah, okay, I'll yeah. check out this movie. No, that's a great quote though. That's really cool. I might have to. I mean, it's a, it's a little on the implausible side, but it's still, it's a fun movie. Yeah, it's, most it's most movies are. It's like whenever I see whenever I see uh, you know movies about people in the CIA. Thanks for calling in, Noel. Movies with people in the CIA, and I'm like, yeah, we don't have like watches that fire out lasers. We do write a lot of memos, though. A lot of typing. Super spy typing. Um, all right, eight four four nine hundred buck. If you want to call in, please do. Wow, we've ripped through the show today. It's been fast. I feel like I've been sitting here for about ten minutes. 
got some other stuff to discuss, maybe a little more about the uh, situation of immigration. Um, I don't know, maybe I'll make fun of Adam Schiff because I like to do that. We'll make some Comey jokes because he's a uh, freakishly unself-aware, lanky weirdo. Um, I don't know, we'll get into some good stuff. It's Friday, so it'll be kind of a uh, surprise. Stay right there. Did anybody not see the State of the Union? Because even the haters back there gave us good reviews on that one. It's hard for them to do. They came up with some um, fake polls. You know, they had fake polls, but the fake polls were even good. And they said, what are we going to do? Took them a couple of hours to figure before they went negative, you know. They got calls from the bosses. You can't say that about Trump. You can't say good. Our immigration situation, I think it has a chance. You know, the Democrats are AWOL. They're missing an action. We're saying, where are they? We have a proposal. We never hear from them. Because I don't think they want to solve the DACA problem. I think they want to talk about it. I think they want to obstruct. You know, the name is Resist. That's the name of their movement. Resist. That's all they do is resist. I don't know if they're good at it. They can't be too good at it because we're passing a lot of things. There's the, uh, I was going to say, there's the Trump, which that would work too. But there's President Trump speaking about where he is right now on immigration after that very effective State of the Union address. And I would just note that he seems to be quite on the ball when it comes to what the Democrats' real endgame is here on immigration specifically. He seems to know that they don't really want a deal. They just want to yell, racist, he's so racist, hashtag resist. Uh, no interest in trying to govern responsibly as adults and to restore the rule of law. They just want the photo ops. Um, I would note that there's a, a, Pew, a Pew Global report out there from the Pew Research Center. Uh, that th- this won't get all that much attention, but I think it's Im- it's important for us to keep in mind. A hundred, according to the P- to Pew Research, a hundred and thirty eight billion one hundred and sixty five million dollars in remittances was sent from the United States to other countries in twenty sixteen. They don't have the twenty seventeen numbers yet. A hundred and thirty eight billion dollars, everybody, sent to other countries. Now. I understand you could say, oh, well, but, you know, Buck, private property, people want to send it. Eh. Now let's look, let's dial into which countries are very high on the list. I'm sure some of you could probably guess. Only a few, only a handful really get over a billion dollars in remittances. Uh, China, India, Mexico. But far and away, the biggest uh, of these remittance-receiving countries is Mexico. To the tune of, it is, remember, and this is just based on Pew Research, so this is based on survey data. But you got roughly 15 to $20 billion a year in hard currency flowing south across the border via remittances to Mexico. I would also note that that money is, I'm sure, a vast majority of it is untaxed. Untaxed. We are subsidizing Mexico's economy with 
untaxed wages that are sent across the border through, I don't know, maybe Western Union or however the remittances get transferred these days. I would also note that this number, and now I'm bringing in some of my other topics I find interesting, this number is sure to only go up as these different services for the transfer of funds, the kind of PayPalization of the Internet, right? PayPal was the first really big one to allow you to transfer funds to people without it being through a credit card or without it being through a bank specifically. PayPal is kind of like an intermediary between the banks, which are intermediaries. But if you could just sell or you could just send currency through crypto, which I know probably not a lot of the illegal immigrant community in America is big into crypto right now, but I'm just saying in the future, this is going to get a lot easier to do. And if you can do that, I think the, the remittances, the number is probably just going to go up. Uh, the number is only going to be increasing over time. And this is also where we do have considerable leverage in dealing with Mexico on the issue of immigration because they really need uh, those remittances for the economy. And when I say really, it's not like the Mexican economy is going to collapse without them. I think the Mexican economy is maybe, I think it's a trillion dollars a year. I think that's about right. Um, but... They still, in terms of hard currency from the U.S., just flowing in, you know, $20 billion, that counts for a lot. And I think that this is where you start to see that there are ways that the U.S. could exert a little more leverage in its dealings and negotiations with Mexico uh, that we, we, we turn the heat on pretty quickly. I would also tell you that we have on the books, and we just refuse to use it because it would be, I don't know, I mean, it would just be too strong an action, I suppose they would say. But the um, the reality is right now on the books, if you uh, if you were to enforce it, any time that a country refuses to take back illegals that we have in our custody in this country, we are supposed to, under law, suspend all visas from that country. That's a very useful tool in our dealing with countries that have large illegal immigrant populations here that are being difficult about taking them back. So I just wanted to uh, just wanted to point that out. A hundred, but $138 billion. I wonder what the economic impact is of that for us. This money is not, this money's not getting spent on goods and services here. Everybody 138 billion bucks, just blowing overseas. Remember remittances. This is money that people are sending home to their home countries. So, you know, there's not, not a lot of made in USA going on with that stuff. And a lot of it is untaxed, especially when you start talking about illegal aliens. You're, there's not going to be much in the way of taxation um, going on with those those flows of cash. Bobby in Colfax, North Carolina. What's up, Bobby? Oh, doing good. Doing good. How are you, Buck? I'm good. I uh, got a movie quote for you. All right. We got some movie quotes flowing in today. What do you got? Uh, thank you for flying Mexico. Mexican Airlines. I mean, I, I, I don't know. What is the, That's the quote? Come on. Yeah, that's the quote. <laughs> Desperado? Uh, I don't know. No, it's uh, badass down the bayou. I mean, is this like a is this like a, a whole movie that you've seen? <laughs> What's this movie? I've never yeah, heard of yeah. this. It, it's, uh, uh, what is the guy's name? Danny Aiello. I-, I can't pronounce his last name. And Danny, uh, 
Uh, Glover was in it. It's uh, called Bat Bat. Uh, Badass in the Bayou. Badass no, I know. I, I heard that part of it. All right. It sounds like is there like some wrestling of gators. It sounds like that kind of movie. All right, Bobby. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Fair enough. Um, all right, guys. I'm just gonna put this out there for the team. All right. And I know some of you, you know, you know what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna call it an action movie quote. I mean, we're really we're looking for a certain genre of film here and a certain level of quote. Right? Today we're getting a little. We're getting a little down in the weeds here with some, uh, you know. Hey, Buck, what's this quote? Would you say? That's not enough for me, guys. I need a little more meat on the action movie quote bone. We're going to talk about progressive schools coming up. You're going to like it. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show team. Hour three here. I know it's a Friday. I wanted to mix some things up. So we've got some different topics coming up this hour instead of just memo, memo, memo. Uh, there's What was that movie with the guy who kept forgetting? Memento, right? He kept forgetting things. And I thought that movie was very overrated, by the way. I don't really remember it. And that wasn't, a, I'm not making a joke there. But the memo, okay, we've talked a lot about that. There's something else I wanted to get into here. It's a piece in the Weekly Standard that we should really put up on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton because I want you all to be able to read it and find it really easily. It's by Catherine Kirsten of the Weekly Standard, and it's Inside a Public School Social Justice Factory. I'm telling you, if you got kids, you 100% have to read this. If you don't have kids, you 90% have to read this just because it's such a compelling story. And it just goes to show you what is going on in at least some of the public school districts in this country. Let me give you some of Ms. Kirsten's words here, and then we will dig into it a bit more. For decades, the public schools of Edina, Minnesota, were the gold standard among the state's school districts. Adena is an upscale suburb of Minneapolis, but virtually overnight, its reputation changed. Academic rigor is unraveling, high school reading and math test scores are sliding, and students increasingly fear bullying and persecution. The shift began in 2013 when Adena's school leaders adopted the All for All Strategic Plan, a sweeping initiative that reordered the district's mission from academic excellence for all students to, quote, racial equity. Equity in this context does not mean equality or fairness. It means racial identity politics, an ideology that blames minority students' academic challenges on institutional racial racial bias, repudiates Martin Luther King Jr.'s colorblind ideal, and focuses on uprooting, I know you already guessed it, white privilege. End quote. This was a top-down program of social justice warrior indoctrination for kids who are in elementary school. For little kids. I mean, they talk about what this does at the high school level as well, but I mean, you're teaching six and seven and eight-year-olds about social justice and social uh, racial equity? Racial consciousness? I mean, maybe they should work on addition and subtraction first, you know? Maybe it would be helpful. 
You want to? I want to skip ahead to the end here about one part of this. Who, who wants to guess if the math if the math scores of minority students in the school system dramatically went up or dramatically went down after this program of social justice warrior indoctrination? Who wants to guess? Yeah, they went down a lot, a lot, because you know when you stop teaching people and decide to brainwash them instead with ideas that any adult who knows anything would at best find to be highly politicized and at worst are just falsehoods peddled by people that have become brainwashed themselves by a culture of victimology and neo-Marxism. But here's more of what they tell the kids, I want to get into what, what what are they teaching children in this school district in Minneapolis? Guys, this is in Minnesota. Minnesota. That sounds, that's kind of right. You know, I always think of the mom from Bobby's World. Oh, Bobby, clean your room. Minnesota. Um, I just, you know, Ms. Molly is, she actually grew up in all different parts of the, of the country. Florida, Louisiana. Uh, not I, Buffalo is not upstate New York, right? That's like West New York. Or do we consider that upstate here? Upstate is like if you're in New York City, upstate is anything where there's grass and trees. That's outside of New York City. But uh, so she's been all over the place. And I always make fun of uh, not make fun. I I lovingly tease her about how she says tired. You'll see. Oh, I'm tired. I'm like, where did that come from? That's just how she says it. I don't know. I think it's because she's grown up in some funky places where they have. Oh, yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. I'm tired. Don't don't you know? Um, But Minnesota is a lovely place. All right. And I'm sure this Minneapolis suburb is, is lovely, too. But here's what they're teaching kids in Adena, Minnesota school district now, as written in this piece in the Weekly Standard. Quote, Highland Elementary's new racially conscious elementary school principal runs a blog for the school's community. On it, she approvingly posted pictures of Black Lives Matter propaganda and rainbow gay pride flags, along with a picture of protesters holding a banner proclaiming gay marriage is our right. On a more age-appropriate post, she recommended an ABC book for small children entitled A is for Activist. You peruse the book and find all sorts of solid gold, like F is for Feminist, T is for Trans, C is for Corporate uh, corporate Vultures. I am not making this up, folks. I'm not making it up. Okay, there, there you have it. And and it it gets, ooh, it gets worse. There's obviously in the high school all kinds of deconstructionist, Marxist, feminist, post-colonial, psychoanalytical approaches to literature. Uh, a lot of themes of colonization, immigration, and social constructions of race, class, and gender. So they're ba- they're basically taking stuff that even college students can't make sense of, and that is a waste of their time. And they're force feeding this now to high school kids who are, by the way, struggling in math and and reading. And then it gets it gets even worse. In case you didn't think that was the single worst uh, instance of this, or the worst instances I could give you, um, uh, I told you that. Uh, Hold on a second. I'm trying to find it now. Here we go. Recently, conservative students at Adena High School filed a federal lawsuit 
claiming the district has violated its members' rights of free speech and association. The suit grew out of events following a Veterans Day assembly in the high school gym on November 9th, 2017. There, a group of veterans spoke about their military service, and the school band played the national anthem and taps. During the music, some African-American students protested by refusing to stand, talking loudly, and blaring music on their cell phones. Members of the school's unofficial Young Conservatives Club responded by criticizing the protesters' behavior at school and on social media. In response, the protesters and their allies harassed the conservative students with groups as large as 30 surrounding club members and threatening to hurt them if they did not change their political views. Uh, so, yeah. Um, here you have kids disrespecting veterans in a high school. And some students say, hey, that wasn't cool. And then other students are now physically threatening the kids who said, hey, don't disrespect the veterans. This is now high school in America, folks. This is happening. It reminds me of how I told you yesterday that it wasn't just to pick on that uh, that imbecile out, and I think it was with California, that teacher who said that, you know, military are the, are the dumbest of the dumb and the lowest of the low. I mean, that complete slug of a human being. Um, it wasn't just to highlight some idiot, but also to, to, to tell you, as I did, that that mentality, unfortunately, is more widespread on the left than certainly any mainstream Democrats want to admit publicly that anti-military sentiment lives on the left in ways that would never be acceptable among those on the right and among conservatives. And that it wasn't, it's not an isolated incident, really, in that regard. That there are plenty, remember, ROTC was kicked off of college campuses for how long? There's plenty of anti-military sentiment among academia. And now we're, we're just talking about school teachers, too. We're not even really talking about academia in the sense of the academy uh, or the campus. So it's, I mean, this stuff is bad. Uh, this is what we're seeing at schools now across the country. This is just one particularly egregious example of it. Um, and they are teaching Marxism. I mean, there's one guy here who actually, who's a, a parent, who filed a suit. He says he fled Nicaragua as a child to escape communism. And now he, he actually has his kids being told that communism is actually a good thing in schools in America. And he has a problem with that, and he's right. And it just goes to show you what is really going on in some of the Remember, this is a public school system, okay? These are your tax dollars, folks. Your tax dollars are going to this. Um, it's disconcerting. Uh, here we go. The drop was most noticeable at the high school level. Math scores for black students at 11th grade dropped from 31% proficient in 2014 to 14% uh, in 2017. Guys, the math proficiency of African-American high school students in this school system dropped by half in three years after they instituted the social justice curriculum. I mean, if this had happened under any other circumstances, people would be like, oh my gosh, like what's going on? But, you see, the problem is when people are learning lies about politics, they're not learning the truth about reality. They're not learning how to do 
the essential intellectual heavy lifting of being a responsible citizen and adult. They're not learning the basic knowledge to come to informed conclusions. They're not learning to question. They're not learning logic and reason. I mean, you can have whole societies that are built on educating the young with lies. I mean, when you look at what's taught in some Sharia-compliant curriculums in the Muslim world, for example. I mean, I don't have to go right to North Korea, but obviously the same thing is true there. But there are plenty of countries where the ideological bias of adults infects, distorts, and destroys whatever could be taught to children, and therefore pollutes the next generation's thinking and, and just their ability as well. And the terrible and tragic irony here is that this curriculum is supposed to be benefiting particularly black students in this Minneapolis school district. And instead of benefiting them on the test scores, it's actually making their lives harder and making them less likely to succeed and go to college. But this is what social justice warriors do. You know, really nice intentions, really terrible results. And they just blame it on other people and scream about racism. All right, we're going to have much more coming up, team. Stay uh, right there. I'll be back. Team, I apologize twofold here. One is for the delay in this particular topic on the show, and the other is for the late hour on a Friday for me to do it. Usually I know this is a a lighter part of I try to make it a lighter part of the show, but as it, it came to me, I just I would feel... Uh, remiss if I went into the weekend without raising the issue uh, and it has to do with the recent Senate rejection of what is called the pain capable unborn child protection act, which is about a 20 week abortion ban. There could be a fine or imprisonment for those who have an abortion beyond 20 weeks. Another way of saying that is beyond five months and This was a bill that you would think in any civilized society, in any essentially decent and moral country, that that bill would pass. In fact, there are similar, even more restrictive, if one would call it that, uh, I mean, restrictions on murder that aren't just a total restriction seem to be deeply insufficient. But European countries, many of them, have bans on what are effectively third-term abortions. And this is one of those moments where, and I, and I know this, it's, it's, I know it's late, it's a Friday, and for the media, for whatever reason, it's always been said, I was told this by producers who just look at the numbers and they say, don't, don't talk about issues of life on, on your show, don't talk about it on TV, don't talk about it on the radio, because even people who agree with you, and I would assume that, a lot of you listening feel the same way about this that I do, although I don't know. It's just my my guess, but I think it's a safe assumption that you are pro-life and you believe in life and want to protect it. Uh, but even people who feel that way will say, I, I can't, you know, I can't handle it. No, they'll change the they'll change the channel or they'll turn the dial, they'll turn off the radio, whatever it may be. I certainly hope that that is, uh, that is not the case. And I'm speaking about it, one, because I feel compelled to anyway, and two, because I believe that with this audience that is not the case, despite the so-called conventional wisdom from the media analyst set that you can't discuss this issue without literally getting people, turning people off. Um, This is a reminder for all of us of the moral divide between the two parties. There are a lot of issues where it's a, 
a difference of how to get to the same outcome. How do we make a better economy? How do we uh, promote the best immigration policies? And I know there's pretty fierce differences within even those spheres. But on this issue, it is, in fact, black and white. And I do take solace. On my worst day sometimes, this thought just crosses my mind, maybe one person at some point in the now five, going on six years I've been doing radio, maybe uh, one woman has heard the show and decided against her previous inclination or judgment to have a baby that she wouldn't have otherwise. And I remind myself of that because that would have made all of this that I have done, all the thousands of hours uh, of radio, more than worthwhile. Um, And that's why I just feel, how does the media not spend any time on this? Uh, I, I think that there's a uh, there should be a greater sense of shame about this, um, that this isn't more of a central focus, that we can't live in a country that understands that a baby that is that has been in the womb for five months that can feel pain, that has fingernails, a heartbeat, lungs, a brain, uh, I, you know, don't, I, you know the, the specifics as well as I do. And many of you have had children, which I have not yet had, so you have an even closer relationship to the whole process of bringing a life into this world that the Democrat Party would be willing to stand against this is the only evidence, in fact, that I need. It's the only data point that I have to bring up that shows that they are, in fact, standing atop an immoral foundation. Uh, This is the root sin, the original sin of the Democrat Party. Uh, that they do not respect life, that they have convinced themselves through a series of delusions that people like the uh, now departed from the organization, uh, uh, Cecile Richards and her forebear, uh, Margaret Sanger and others, are anything other than for-profit butchers is very disturbing. And this is where there's a a real difference, folks. You know, we're not sitting here talking about the marginal tax rate. We are literally looking at whether or not one political party, roughly half or so of the ideological spectrum, or represents half the ideological spectrum in this country, wants to have more liberal abortion laws than any European country, and wants to make sure that a, a woman can terminate a pregnancy well beyond the point at which it is a baby that would live on its own, never mind the debate over life at conception and supporting life all at, at all points throughout the pregnancy. So this was a very, this was a very dark day for the country. Um, I, I, I'm somebody who advocates, I know some would say, no, you just need to overturn Roe v. Wade. And I, I take the approach of we save as many lives as we can as quickly as we can. And anything that is saving life, anything that is stopping abortion procedures from happening is a good thing. And if we could stop, you know, 5,000 this year and stop 500,000 in the next year, that would be fantastic. I don't want to wait to just stop the 500,000 because we got 5,000 lives hanging in the balance. Um, I am appalled and I really have to sometimes catch myself because even some of my my friends in New York who are stalwart Democrats, particularly the women I know who are stalwart Democrats, uh, will defend this. And I just look at them, and I, I know that they don't actually believe in, in killing babies. They've just convinced themselves that this is not killing babies. And they're wrong. 
So I know that's uh, a bit intense for later on a Friday, but the Senate failed us, the government failed us, and there are a lot of people that are going to have some answering to do in this life or the next on this issue. We'll be right back. So the Dow dropped like a stone in water today. Not looking so good on the economy. What the heck is going on here? We've got the tax reform, uh, putting more money in people's pockets. Supposed to be a very positive economic outlook. Some people are saying GDP of maybe 4 4.5% this year, and things are feeling a little iffy right now. Well, to take a look at the latest jobs numbers and everything going on with the economy, we've got Phil Kirpin with us. He is president of American Commitment. She found it back in 2012. He's also a contributing editor at National Review and a writer for Fox News Opinion. Great to have you, Phil. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So what is going on with the economy right now? It feels like a weird, rough day when otherwise we should be celebrating, right? But the Dow is looking like it's been a little rattled. Yeah, well, this is one of those things where uh, the stock market, I think, uh, interpreted sort of good economic news as bad news for stocks because they think that the economy is going to sort of uh, heat up to the point that it's going to force interest rates higher and that's going to kind of end the party, the easy money party that we've had on Wall Street. And so I think actually the strong labor market data uh, kind of triggered some panic selling on Wall Street because of the perception uh, that interest rates are going to go higher. And in fact, uh, there was also a uh, there was also a sell-off in bonds that did drive interest rates a little higher, and so the uh, you know the the expectation is we might have higher inflation as a result of the economy heating up a bit, and that's made uh, Wall Street a little skittish. So, infl- but but if we have interest rates go up, I mean, won't that be good for people who are savers, right? I mean, right now it feels or for a long time it feels like if you just try to put money in the bank or put it in a CD. You're you're getting nothing. In fact, when you add, I think when you add uh, inflation into it, you're actually losing money. Yeah, I mean, we've been in this extraordinary period of sort of extremely low interest rates because of all the stuff that the Fed did uh, and all the money creation coming out of the financial crisis. And, you know, that's been uh, good news if you're a borrower. And in particular, it's been pretty good news, uh, you know, for the banking sector. But it's been uh, pretty bad news for individuals, as you pointed out. If you're a saver and you're trying to get any kind of return on, uh, you know, on a a CD or a, a savings account, it's basically been almost nothing for the past decade. And so, yeah, higher interest rates could be good news for some. Some people, if they're savers, it's generally seen as a negative, though, from the standpoint of the business side of things. If business borrowing costs are higher, there are not as many projects that get greenlit and so forth. But, you know, that might be a little less important than it has been historically, given that, uh, you know, Congress just passed the tax law that allows for immediate full expensing of investment on the business side. So we might see a lot more equity investment as opposed to debt financing in the business sector anyway, and it might be less sensitive to interest rates. So too early for anybody to read too much or read much at all into a a massive, I think it's the biggest drop since June of 2016 in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And you know people looking at this and it was bla- it was blaring across all the screens. I also have to wonder if maybe it's news that isn't the memo. So I think that probably yeah, well, factors into it, too. Well, look, I mean, we had a very strong manufacturing report from ISM uh, yesterday. Uh, the Atlanta Fed increased their GDP now forecast for this current forecast quarter we're in, first quarter 2018. They're now over 5% in what they're forecasting. Uh, we have uh, pretty had pretty strong labor market news this morning, uh, and not super strong, but you know, with unemployment already at 4.1%, adding 200,000 jobs is, is still pretty considerable. And so I do think this is one of these situations where it's bad stock market news, but I don't really think that it's uh, bad economic news more broadly. How do you think the Trump administration with the tax cut in place is positioned 
in terms of overall economic growth and just the, the feelings that Americans will have by and large about the economy in 2018? I think they're in really good shape because I think the Democrats uh, and their media allies really misplayed their hand. Uh, they went so over the top saying that the tax cut bill was a disaster. We didn't all die. And, and uh, yeah, when you set expectations like that, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's only good if you succeed in stopping the bill and then you can dance on its grave and claim credit. Once it actually passed, now all of those absurd statements they made are going to be judged against reality. And, you know, they convinced half of Americans their taxes were going up. And, of course, almost everyone who pays taxes is, is seeing their taxes go down. If they haven't already seen it in their paycheck, uh, they're going to see it in the next couple of weeks because IRS is requiring the, uh, the new withholding tables to be implemented by February 15th. And so people are going to see the tax bite go down. They're going to see their take-home pay go up. And if they're in the half of the country that was convinced by Democrats and the media the opposite would happen, they're going to have some pretty interesting cognitive dissonance the first time they open this paycheck and see they actually did get a tax cut. Speaking to Phil Kirpin, who's president of American Commitment and a contributing editor for National Review Online. Phil, what does Trump need to do What or what can he do uh, going into uh, this second year of his term with the midterms already looming uh, to make sure that the economic growth we see is as robust and sustained as possible? Well, you know, they're going to do a big push on infrastructure. I'm kind of skeptical that the Democrats will actually work with them on that. The uh, one vote that I would really like to see and that uh, the White House uh, National Economic Council Director uh, Gary Cohn has been pushing for, and I think Congress would be very smart to do this, uh, would be to vote to make the individual tax cuts they passed last year permanent. So the Democrats can't say, oh, well, yeah, it, might, it looks like a good tax cut now, but you're going to lose it in eight years. Uh, they ought to go ahead and force a vote to make it permanent, because it would be very hard for Democrats to vote against that, I think, uh, based on the way they've sort of positioned themselves politically. And if they pass that, it would take kind of one of the big talking points off the table and assure people that this tax cut is going to last. So I'd, I'd like to see them do that. Uh, you know, I think that they've got... Uh, a pretty good start on a lot of the big regulatory pieces already in the first year, but they've got to follow through on a lot of that deregulation. And in particular, uh, I'd really like to see them get some of the regulatory reform legislation that was done early uh, in the Congress and the House, actually through the Senate, to lock in place a lot of these gains on regulation uh, during the the uh, Trump administration so the next Democrat can't just come back in and snap every crazy Obama reg back in place. So I think that, that really should be the focus, along with uh, trying to make the tax cuts permanent. So, so permanent tax cuts and permanent deregulation, in a sense. Yeah, let's lock in the gains that we've made in the remarkable first year so they, they so that we know they'll last. That would be my focus. Phil, where should people go to read your latest or uh, pick up a book? AmericanCommitment.org is the website, or uh, follow me on Twitter, at Kirpen, my last name, K-E-R-P-E-N. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Have a fantastic weekend. All right, you too. Have a good one. All right, team, uh, we're going to get into uh, some... Roll call coming up here in just a few minutes. Uh, remember, you can always send me your thoughts at facebook.com slash bucksexton. Also, check out bucksexton.com for all the latest. We'll be right back. Well, team, it's almost the weekend. and uh, We're going to spend a lot of time this weekend, I'm sure, writing about the memo. I wrote a piece today on thehill.com, if you want to see it. The FISA abuse memo, deep state bombshell Um you know, because I wanted people to read it, so I gave it a title that I feel like will get them to read it. If you have not, please go go check it out. I think it's a good piece, lays out a lot of the arguments that I've made here today, and also the Hill will see that you've been reading it. They'll be like, oh, people like to read Buck's stuff. I did have a piece there go completely viral a few months ago. That was, that was interesting. Um, I've never seen so much focus on one editorial from, from one website, uh, but it was, or at least in my, in my career, 
but anyway, please do check it out. It's on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton as well. And I uh, very much appreciate you taking a look. I would also note that the plan is, assuming I do not collapse from exhaustion and overwork, to have the Siege of Malta Part 1 out on Monday. For those of you who like the History Deep Dives, we, we at least have a, a few more going. I'm, I'm trying to get to 10 before I take a break. I might not get there. I might stop around 6 or 7. But we're going to try to get to 10, and then we're going to get back into it. But that's the, that's the plan for now. But uh, the Siege of Malta should be a really, a really good episode, I think. Uh, it'll be more than one part. I'm going to figure out this weekend whether it's going to be two or three parts. Um, so that's coming up. Oh, also tomorrow morning, those of you who tend to wake up super early on Saturday or you happen to be up making coffee, doing your thing, I uh, will be on Fox and Friends at 6.15 a.m. So hanging out on Fox and Friends, talking about the deep state family tree, which is a phrase that I will tell you I coined on Fox and Friends doing some analysis on the screen there. And it has since caught on. And now they often refer to the deep state family tree, and they kindly give me credit for that uh, little bit of, I don't know, cleverness, whatever we want to call it. So uh, here we get all of the latest on. Oh, sorry. We get all the latest from you from Roll Call. Hit it. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. So we got Troy writing in with the following. You, Dan Bongino and Sarah Carter on Hannity together. Wow. All-star cast. The Shield formation is strong today. Are you planning on having Bongino on your show tonight? Last night I caught him hosting for Levin for a bit, and he did a three-hour show on putting the pieces together using some solid analytical methodology, using information reported in the left-wing press to connect names, dates, and relationships. I think it was great. I think his work with your experience would be great on exploring the same data and exploring the truth. Well, Troy, thank you very much. First of all, it's great to get a chance to talk to Sean today on his show earlier in the day and have Bongino and Sarah on there. Two friends of mine, those two, uh, from the media business from way back when. Uh, Sarah and I used to work together on The Blaze all the time. She was a frequent panelist on a show called Real News, of which I started out as the kind of uh, deep, deep right field participant in and then eventually became the uh, central anchor in, which was quite a quite a process. Uh, but Sarah was one of our all star guests there. And Dan is a, is a great dude. Um, and I'm just happy to see his career getting so getting so hot right now. I mean, he's doing a great job. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have them on. We actually asked Sarah today, but she has to run, she's literally over at Fox during the show right now. Uh, otherwise, I, I would have had Sarah on, but I understand, you know, TV calls, you got to do it. And uh, Dan's got his own show to do. Otherwise, we'd be happy to have him on. I think we had Dan on a couple of weeks, like a week or two ago, though, right? So, yeah, yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah. So Dan's look, Bongino's welcome anytime. He knows that I, I like Dan and he does good analysis. But so good suggestions, Troy. And thank you very much. Uh, Will has the next one here. Nice work on Sean's show with Dan and uh, Dan and Sarah. He also wrote solid tweets today, been sharing via text message to all the underground conservatives in the People's Republic of Manhattan. Also signed up for Brandon's Crate Club and used your code Buckshot. Well, thank you very much, Will, first for spreading the conservative word around to our fellow underground conservatives here in the People's Republic of Manhattan uh, and also for checking out Crate Club. It's it's a an honor 
for me whenever any of you are willing to go check out our sponsors, use the promo code. That's how you signal to the sponsors, hey, there's something really going on here with this show. We believe in the show. We like your product, and we want to support you and Buck at the same time. So anytime you put in that promo code, you're giving me a high five, and you're giving one of the great companies that sponsors this show a high five, and you're getting some good products, some good gear. So thank you very much for that. That's what look. That's what keeps us in business. I make no, uh, I make no secret of that, and that's why I tell you guys just straight up the way it works on radio. Thank you for what you're doing. That's why you'll notice Black Rifle Coffee, which I do drink every day. These guys keep coming back because you are willing to give them a shot because you know that they matter to me. These are companies that I care about. Look, the sponsors. You know, it's it's this is a this is really a three way relationship, right? It's it's you, it's me, it's sponsors. All that's the three. That's what keeps the radio show on the air. That's what keeps us all going. So thank you all for that, uh, Kevin. Do you remember when Chuck Schumer said on the Sunday shows that Trump can't pick a fight with the intel community because they get you seven ways from Sunday? I wonder if he meant this. Yeah, Kevin, I, I think that this is a really annoying and disconcerting trend that I've seen among a lot of people on social media and in the commentary world that, oh, well, if you mess with the IC, the intelligence community, which we very rarely refer to it to that when you're in it, by the way, you always refer to it by your home agency. I just think it's so funny. Like, I would never walk around like, hey, like I'm in the IC, right? You're FBI, you're CIA, you're DIA, you're, you know, that's you really, it's a much more tribal culture than people outside of it can ever realize. You almost have to think about it like it's like the IC is the NFL and then all the different agencies are different teams. I mean, they're not competing against each other technically, but there's some of that too. There's a little bit of uh, friendly and sometimes not so friendly rivalry between them. I think it's funny. People refer to it as a community. Like we have community hangouts that are all just, you know, sitting out on our lawns together, drink, you know, sipping on sweet tea and mint juleps or something. No, no, no. That's not how it goes. Uh, but yeah, um, I do remember that Kevin. I think it's really, uh, disconcerting as I said, that people seem to think that the intelligence community should ever find it appropriate to like settle the score with the president. And I think that we've seen some people based on the memo today that they do take that approach. Next up on roll call TJ, uh, you have a deep voice as is, but you sound about 10 times more Manly on the Hannity show. Maybe it's just the intensity of the topic. The FISA memo. All right, TJ, I'll take it, man. Thanks. Yeah, gotta, I got to lay it down here. You know, it's I'm very comfortable with all of you. So I'm not in it. When you're the guest, you got to get right to it right away because you've only got a few minutes on air. When you're the host, you're like, eh, you know, this weekend, I think I'm going to, you know, kick on the uh, flip flops, go for a walk around the neighborhood. You know, maybe get myself a T-bone steak. And by that, I mean ribeye. And, uh, you know, hanging out with Miss Molly. You know, it's a little more relaxed because I have more time with you. But I guess I'm glad you like the, the the deep voice. Not the deep state, the deep voice. Denny, next. Hey, Buck, in case nobody's mentioned it, I noticed the last several podcasts have numerous instances of Windows sounds in the background. Most notable are the sounds of a USB device being plugged and unplugged. Thought your staff would like to know Shields High. What is he talking about? With are you guys crashing windows or something? Windows sounds, yeah. Well, I'm looking at you, you two. Nothing. All right, we're gonna have a full-on inquisition later. Someone's gonna get a code red for the. I'm just kidding. We would never do that for the windows sounds. I gotta look at. I I need to know if he means the history podcasts or something else. 
because if it's the history podcast, then it's uh, then that's all on me, and I got to figure that out. But you know, I don't know. I don't know what I can do to fix that. Uh, let's see. We got Greg. I bought two important facts to add to the current debate. IRS harassment of conservative groups adds to a pattern of agency corruption under Obama. Where else did it exist? I'm sure there are other agencies. Let me just say, Greg, I don't know if you saw when I was on the Brett Baer panel earlier this week. Brett Baer's show on Fox is one of my favorites. He's, it's a great show. They have really top guests, and uh, Brett just does a, a he's, as, he's just as good as it gets in the business of, of news. And I, But I did throw in there, I'm not sure people heard it, because the Washington Post columnist who was sitting next to me said something like, I don't know, he was saying something that I did not particularly like or agree with, and I just tossed in there, well, you know, what about the IRS? I mean, this this whole idea that has been one of the central defenses of FBI, DOJ conduct here, that they're beyond reproach, is complete nonsense. In recent memory, we had the politicized targeting of conservatives by the IRS under the Obama administration without any real consequences for anyone involved. They lied to us about it. They hid it. And then they did everything they could to downplay the story. And that's a fact. This is the, those are facts. right? That's just what is on the record. So I think that's uh, very important to point out. He also wrote, uh, love your show and uh, Shields High podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Greg. I'm, I'm trying. I'm busy these days, man. I haven't gotten to work out in the last couple of days. I'm starting to a uh, job of the buck over here. I got to get I got to get back into the. You know, I got to like I said, I'm fighting the dad bod until I'm a dad. That's the plan, because once that's the one of the upsides of being a dad, right, is you get to say, all right, full embrace of the dad bod. No shame in that game. That's coming up. That's this is my that's my excuse this weekend to eat French fries. I, I tend to eat French fries on the weekends, sometimes more than once a day, which I realize is really decadent. But sometimes you need it with brunch. Sometimes you need it with dinner. You know, I don't know what else to tell you. That's going to be it for me from the Freedom Hut for this edition, my friends. Download those podcasts, uh, the history one, and also this show. Have a great weekend. I will see you Monday. As always, Shields High.